This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Gray Hospital. And welcome to another exciting episode of Earl Grey. I'm your judge, jury, and of course, the executioner, Richard Marquez. And joined with me today on the plaintiff side is Justin Ozer. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing good, but it sounds like I should be afraid. You have the power to execute people? <laughs> well, let's hope not, right? <laughs> All right, cute. And then on the defendant side, we have the lovely Amy Nelson. How you doing, Amy? I'm doing good. I will defend valiantly as best I can. <laughs> well, before we go into what we're going to uh, be talking about for the show, we're going to go over some of the Babel Conference feedback that we've recently uh, received for the... Is it it was like, epi- uh, yeah, it was episode 206, which was Actors Who Got Their Starts on TNG Part 2. There we go. There we go. So, um, Justin, why don't you start us off with the first comment? All right, so Greg Malumbi said, Richard, the Will Ferrell movie you were thinking about was old school, one of the most quotable movies ever, probably. <laughs> I agree. It, it probably is the most um, quotable. I mean, I know you've never seen it, but yeah. <laughs> of course I have. I mean, listeners should know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> have you seen that, Amy? Uh, have you seen that movie, Amy? No, I have not. Uh, not <sighs> a big Will Ferrell fan. Oh, this is a great movie. I mean, my favorite my favorite quote is, we're going streaking. Woo! Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, Amy, you want to do the second one? Yeah, so Tim Hans says, listening to Brian Singer's directing filmography and other projects on your rundown of actors, though, as you say, Singer really was not an actor, I'm amazed you failed to mention the pitch he once made for a new Star Trek television series following the cancellation of Enterprise and before the first Kelvin Timeline movie was greenlit, which was to be titled Star Trek Federation, which was to be set during year 3000, a few hundred years after the United Federation planet had collapsed, which chronicled the ancestors of one James T. Kirk putting together a new USS Enterprise and a new era of exploration. If you've never come across this story and series, I did, which Singer pitched, but sadly failed to reach the planning stage when it was worth Googling and looking it up. So, Tim, thank you for including that. I did not see that, and I did not know about it. And thank you, Tim, for helpfully sending us through Messenger a link 
<laughs> about the the pitch. I had heard about it a little bit, but it would have been interesting where that would have gone to go so so far into the the future. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I I think there were some other pitches around like that. Like um, there was one for an animated series called Final Frontier, which would have taken place in the 26th century. But I think all those things got swept aside when the Kelvin timeline movies came. But very interesting. I didn't know he was involved in that. I briefly heard about that. Um, I didn't know who was the one who pitched it and everything. But um, yeah, definitely. Um, I actually heard about um, Federation, and and that's, I'm glad he's I'm glad he said something. So thank you, Tim, yeah. very much for that information. So listeners, this is the last time we have to remind you about the iTunes contest, which goes through December 31st, where if you put a star rating and written review in iTunes, and you're in the U.S. You'll have the opportunity to win the wonderful prize, The Art of Juan Ortiz, for The Next Generation. 178 amazing prints uh, for each episode of The Next Generation. So hopefully you'll head on over to iTunes if you're in the U.S. and give us a star rating and written review for a chance to win that book. All right. Now on to the episode. Before this gracious court now appear these prisoners to answer the multi uh, the multiple and gracious savagery of earl gray how plead you hosts um uh, not plead. guilty uh, oh no no that's wrong oh no, no guards no. Shoot. <laughs> oh amy's gone oh no i okay oh. i'll i'll do it i plead guilty provisionally <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, uh, from the sounds of it, I hope you guys are thinking that we're going to be talking about courtroom dramas, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about. So today we'll be starting a two-part series talking about courtroom dramas in the next generation. First, so that we don't get involved in a courtroom drama of our own, we'd like to thank Standard Orbit as inspiration for this episode as they looked at TOS courtroom dramas in standard uh, in standard orbit 193 we'd also like to thank listener rebecca skipper for suggesting that we do uh, something similar here on earl gray for the tng courtroom dramas thank you rebecca for uh, definitely doing that and um ken don't sue us uh go army <laughs> <laughs> now we're even hmm. for sure gonna get sued yeah he's he's not gonna <laughs> like that <laughs> Okay, the day that we're recording this is actually uh, today's the Army Navy game, and actually it starts in about fifteen minutes. So, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna knock this one out. Yeah, I've been seeing your <laughs> posts going back and forth, or you're like, "Boo, Navy, go Army!" I'm like, "Oh goodness, it's been yeah. fun." Yes, it has. So, um, in this episode, we're gonna be uh, discussing Encounter at Farpoint, Justice, The Measure of a Man, A Matter of Perspective. Sins of the Father, and then that's it. <laughs> I see final thoughts there. <laughs> well, that's the ones we're discussing so, today. We'll have more next time. <laughs> right, we'll have more next time. But so, um, let's start with Encounter at Farpoint. So, obviously, we know we've seen this episode before. It's you know so many times before. It's the beginning of TNG, and of course, it starts out. In my eyes, it's a it's like a court martial, but without the three other judges. So. Um, what did you guys think of this um, whole setting of, of, uh, of basically trial by fire and all that? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's something that's really interesting with TNG starting right off in the first episode with this really unusual trial, a trial for, I guess, basically the crimes of humanity presided over by an omnipotent being who's judge, jury, executioner. 
Um, you know, and if you think about like the, the ones in the original series, for the most part, it was, you know, standard trials or hearings, but mm-hmm. they were starting out with something I think really unusual. And I think I made some notes on some of the other ones. There's some kind of unusual trials and, and hearings that you have in, in Next Generation. It's not just the run of the mill, like someone committed an offense on the ship and you have to decide whether they're guilty or innocent. This is this is something very unusual, I think, the the kind of trial that you have here. I mean, what do you think, Amy? I agree. I found it very interesting because they are bringing a certain person, Picard and his crew or whatever, Mm -hmm. for the crimes of humanity. And they mention like, well, you can't do that. And so it must have been before that people were being, uh, you know, punished for crimes against humanity, against, you know, what their forefathers did or their ancestors did. So I, I found that very interesting that, you know, in our quote unquote future that, you know, I might be held accountable for something that, you know, five great grandparents did, you know, in the past. And so they finally made this law where you can't do that. And, you know, uh, Q is like, um, no, that's no, we can still do it. <laughs> I thought, oh, OK. <laughs> Yeah, and he cites some legal precedent, doesn't he? Like, oh, right. by this precedent of 20-whatever, I can do that. And I'm also omnipotent. So he's basically saying, I'm omnipotent, so just like shut up and go through the proceedings. <laughs> it's like, whoa. I mean, and and also, it I think it tells you a lot about Q that this is his first appearance. And the first thing he wants to do is to judge a species that he comes across. It tells you a lot about about his character, that that's kind of the first thing that he would do, that he wouldn't do something like, oh, hey, I see you're exploring. Let's let's talk that over and see what, no, no, he's going to do something very, very confrontational and very consequential. Another thing I found interesting was, you know, they talk about, well, you're guilty until proven innocent. And of course, uh-huh. bringing the innocent to trial would be unfair. And I thought that's an interesting twist on what we you know, our court system is right now, you know, and it's like, well, of course we wouldn't bring the innocent to trial. And so in a sense, it almost has a logic to it. And there's some interesting, um, other places in the next generation where you see that actually one we'll talk about a little later, a matter of perspective, this alien species talks about our standard is guilty until proven innocent. And I think in the, um, in the Cardassian justice system in well, it's in Deep Space Nine, but I mean, basically it's the same thing, guilty until proven innocent. So it's interesting that they're kind of flipping that on its head where we would think that's very much something that's unfair, but there are other species or other beings that are like, of course this is fair. Why would you bring the innocent to trial? We know who's guilty. And it's just such a different perspective than Mm -hmm. we would see. I mean, although in our own history on earth, there have been, you know, different um, regimes and cultures that have basically done the same kind of thing that that you're considered you know guilty until proven innocent and maybe there isn't even a possibility to be proven innocent you're already uh found guilty so yeah it's really interesting to to look at that and to look at q's standard at the same time he in the end after kind of he does this judgment he is very forgiving of them much more well yeah at first <laughs> no i mean because in like the way that he starts out is he said, you're on, you're on trial for the crimes of humanity. You shouldn't go any further in your explorations. But by the end of it, he says, okay, 
You've kind of proved yourself on this mission. I will allow you to continue exploring and doing what you want until maybe I f- see fit to do something else. But his tone about it does does change over the course of the episode, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. they passed his test and they are not savages. That's what I got. Well, out of it. and of course, if they didn't pass the test and they were all executed, that would have been the end of the show. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And the human race as is. <laughs> oh boy! Next week we need uh, we need to field another crew for this show. <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> it oh, it man. sure would. And then we wouldn't have Earl Grey. That's mm. right. I know it. It would be the encounter at Farpoint podcast for that Star Trek show that only had one episode. <laughs> oh my gosh! Could you imagine how bored that would be? <laughs> Talk about encounter at Farpoint every week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, so he said this word. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Look at this change in the shade of color in this scene. <laughs> so don't you find it interesting that, you know, so Q is like listing off all of these things and Picard's like, well, I will be, I'll agree to being charged for specific charges, you know, mm-hmm. specific examples. And mm-hmm. then he just was like, test us. Yeah, and so Picard's willing to put himself and his crew to represent all of humanity. That's pretty bold. And that's and if this is the first episode where he doesn't really even know his crew that well, mm-hmm. I mean, I just think that's pretty bold. What do you think? It is it is really bold, and I think it it shows you that that he is a leader who's going to think on his feet and be creative about things. I mean, in a certain way, he has no choice, right? There's this all-powerful being saying, I think that you're guilty of these crimes. And Picard kind of analyzes the situation, sees the danger, and comes up with something really quickly that Q can accept to allow them to continue. It's it's very bold, and I think it shows his leadership and you know all that he's learned in his long career to be able to make that decision. I don't think somebody who had just become you know, captain yesterday would have necessarily done that, you know? What do you think, Richard? <laughs> I, I I was just about to say, uh, or, or yeah, I could show him uh, how much uh, how much experience he has and how much trust he has in his crew as an experienced captain. But at the same time, it's also foolish, very foolish, because you don't know who they are really. I mean, you could have a bad app, a couple of bad apples, and they might ruin it for you. Yeah. But but his yeah no. But he yeah. believes in the the quality of people that are in Starfleet, and that because he's on the flagship, he's got the best that he can get because he's, he's able to pick the crew that he has. So I, I, yeah, but it, it it is a risk, but it's like, he has to take that risk. He has no choice really. There's no other way out of it that I could think of. Yeah. In this, in this uh, episode, yeah, definitely. He has no choice (laughs) whatsoever. I mean, you have an omnipotent being that could probably wipe you off the slate of the earth without even thinking twice about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it, it is very bold because I, and I think it shows great Star Trek philosophy right from episode one, that Picard is trusting in humanity and trusting in his crew that they are going to, yeah, be the best and have the best character and integrity and be able to pass this test. Um, And I think, gosh, would I be willing to do that? And I think, well, in a little microcosm, again, just going back to my to the classroom and every year it's like, okay, I have these great group of kids. Can I trust that they are going to not cheat to, you know, do their best and have integrity during this school year? 
And every year I'm just so hopeful. And then I catch those little cheaters and I'm like, oh, I'm ruined, you know. But unlike Picard, you don't get to handpick your students. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is true. That's that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, because that is really what he does. It's like, okay, there's this new ship that's launching. I'm the captain. Here's who I want as you know, first officer and tactical and operator. All this stuff he gets. I mean, at least for the senior staff, I think he gets to choose that. So yeah. that helps. Right. Fun. <laughs> now Amy's fantasizing about the possibility of choosing the students she can have. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's my Christmas wish. But you know, some of them you are know, listening. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, I actually saw a couple of things uh, on the how creative kids are at cheating and everything, like nail, or like putting number. Or Wait, like I said, her her students are, are listening. Don't give them cheating oh, tips. Right, 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 right. Oh, sorry, we sorry. don't need to give them any Bye more bad. ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they want to know tips and tricks, we can always go to the patron zone and they and they have to pay for it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there you go. So one thing I totally picked up. So after listening to the standard orbit and then hearing their, the law and order gong gong, you know, the (laughs) dong dong. Yeah. That totally came from this episode with the little actor bringing the bell. Dong dong. Oh, right, right, right. That totally came from Encounter at Firepoint. The dong dong was stolen. It's there. Oh, did law and order start after that? What did Law and or- so Law and Order yeah. started after sure. TNG? I gotta look it up. I gotta look it up because I'm not. I, well, this, you're right. This it did. One, this came out in '87. Yeah. No, you're right. The first Law and Order yeah, but the, is 1990. Yeah, but the Gong Gong thing, I'm sure, has been around for a long time. Well, right? it's definitely uh, prevalent in this episode, See, and it is throughout the uh, whole thing. I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, that is so it, it Law and well, Order. That's interesting. It very well could have been. It very well could have been the, the inspiration to. Yeah, I, I didn't think yeah, about it because, well like, in some ways, like the 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 tone and. Like the actual sound is a little different, but wow, no, I it see sounds that. the same. It doesn't sound thing. exactly the same. Well, not exactly, dong, but it's yeah, dong, the dong. deep dong uh-huh. dong. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the title right there. I was just thinking the same thing. People are going to think dong, the content dong. of this episode is very different. <laughs> call it gong gong. <laughs> gong gong or dong dong? Gong dong. I'm saying gong gong. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Move along. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we move along to the next one. So okay. what do we, what do we think of the outcome of this trial that Q is going to allow them to continue? Because I think that's unusual to kind of leave it open-ended. He doesn't really give a verdict. He kind of says, I'll be watching you, you know? Yeah. But he says that you've passed the test, just this one. Yeah. But like in, in all good things, years later, he says the trial never ended. So it's kind right. of like, it just but goes across the whole yet. series. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, we know that the finale is obviously the what it is. But um, I mean, he did say test us. He didn't say, oh, you know, test us after this uh, after this mission or or whatnot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that would suck. Just hang over our shoulder <laughs> for seven years. It'll be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While I'm just captaining the Enterprise, not for the rest of my yeah. life, just the Enterprise. <laughs> no, I I just think it's it it's interesting because it's a, it's a little more ambiguous than you usually see. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say that um, I this is a great episode, and I feel a great joy and gratitude for this episode. Because that's where I get roll? my tagline. I'm so happy. I always think of you when I see that scene at the end. <laughs> I think of Amy and Space Jellyfish. Yes. <laughs> 
Jelly, jelly, jellyfish. <laughs> All right. So moving along to <clears throat> terrible episode. Oh, wait, Justice. it's not. <laughs> it's not terrible. It has some fashion problems, but... Uh... <laughs> No, the fashion choices are great. I, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the ending was it was terrible. <laughs> no. Okay, but well, like, let's take it from the... You, well, okay. Well, okay, well, so what's interesting about this one is there is a trial, but it's, it's, it's a fairly small part of the episode. Like, the actual, like, hearing that they do is just kind of toward the end. So there's much less of an emphasis, but there is some interesting stuff that's, that's going on in here. Um, Amy, what do you think of Justice? I... Well, I think it brings up some really good points because um, they are coming at this from the perspective that, you know, the law and justice creates their society of peace and tranquility, mm-hmm. you know. And so they have studied, you know, and they like they reference, look at us before we had law. We were hurtful and savage, savage people. And now we have this peace and tranquility because of the law. And so they're really holding it to a high standard that, you know, a society that's going to be successful needs to have law and justice. And I think that's an interesting idea. I have a question about their system of laws, though. So basically what we see here is that they have this punishment zone that's marked off. And if you commit some crime, knock over the plants or whatever, then you'll be put to death. But there's just this punishment zone. Like, what is the punishment for committing some other crime outside of this zone anywhere else, like in that city or planet? It, it doesn't I'm make sure sense to me that that would work. No, but they say yeah. there's one zone. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like, you know, outside of whatever the perimeter is, I'm sure there's a perimeter. We just never saw it <laughs> or something like that. No, but doesn't even mean- if there's more than one zone, they're marking them off and saying, don't do this here. But what about everywhere else? Well, I understood <laughs> it that punishment is death for any law broken. Within that zone. No, 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 no. For any of their laws. So yeah, you have a zone thing and you have a law that says don't steal and you have a law that says don't kill. Like any law that's on the books, they're going to punish by death. That's the only punishment. I had had a different understanding that they're just specifically marking out this one zone. And that's where the death penalty applies. And everywhere else, it's a little murky what their actual laws are. No, I think it says that punishment is death for any law broken. Well, that's what I put in my notes. Okay. But I... But anyway, it is a harsh right. It is a harsh justice system for sure. It is. Absolute, you know, yeah, and that's absolute. what I think is so interesting about it. It's like, can you have one punishment for every single law? You know, and they ask the question, when has justice been as simple as a rule book? And when has the law ever been absolute without any exceptions, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they talk about that. Like, where where is the exercise in exceptions? Yeah. And I think you get that a lot when you're dealing with people, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. it's so variable and there's extenuating circumstances in a case by case. And I... I believe that you just can't have this one law and expect it to work in every situation. Right. I mean, in the prime directives the same way, right? It can't be rigid for, for everything. Although, you know, they talk about the prime directive at the end, but doesn't it seem like they're breaking it already because they visit this planet that seems like it's a pre-warp civilization and, uh, <laughs> and they're just, just beam down and see what's going on? 
Mm. Well, but they did have, well, I guess not on the initial, but they did have permission to bring others down. But they're not even supposed to contact pre-warp civilizations. Although I don't know if that's established this early in TNG, but anyway, that seemed odd. But so, so Wesley breaks this law and they, (laughs) I mean, what's interesting about their system of justice is it seems like there isn't really a trial at all that's supposed to happen. There are these people that come by, these lawgivers, and they say, okay, is there a witness? Does he admit to it? Okay, let's put him to death right now. So there's like not even a trial at all. So that's, I mean, that's like probably even more extreme than guilty until proven innocent. It's just like, you know, guilty and now let's put you to death. It's it's very extreme. Yeah. Anyone to say, yeah. witness, bam, you're dead. Witness, oh, <laughs> And you admit to it? All right, let me just take this and kill you on the spot. Like, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. And it's not even like a phaser or something like that. It's like a it's syringe. It's like with some some kind of drug in it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll it will be painless. Oh, really? The needle's going to be painless too? <laughs> like, ow! <laughs> <laughs> not compared to the uh, not compared to poison that's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, they they have that, and then it almost seems like. Um, they say, okay, well, we'll have to have this hearing and, and hold him. But it almost seems like toward the end, it's just like a discussion they're having. Like, he broke the law. Oh, the law shouldn't be absolute. It doesn't seem as much like a trial as sometimes you see elsewhere in TNG where it's like, here's the defense, here's the prosecution. They have argument. Like in Measure of a Man that we'll talk about, it's much more like formalized. And this is just kind of a discussion almost, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I sort of feel like they sort of cheat a little because then they say, well, these laws were given to us by, oh, who was the being? The God. God. They call it God. Yeah, they call it <laughs> yeah. God, you know, the thing that's circling. And so I sort of wish that they would have taken ownership for their own laws. And they're like, well, if we break this law, then we're going to be punished type of thing. And I just well, they're I afraid wish they of would retribution. have taken ownership of their own because they were saying, look, we were so, you know, hurtful and savage before we had this law that was just given to us. I don't know about that. Well, they're afraid of retribution if they don't follow that exactly, right? There must have been some retribution before. If they don't, uh, you, you maybe. Think they, if they get smite or something like that, if they don't follow the laws? They seemed really afraid. There must have been something that happened where these laws were handed down by these beings and someone didn't follow them and got killed. And they were like, oh, we shouldn't do that again. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's death. Yeah. Well, one thing I would have wished for this episode, though, would have been not just to see like this vessel, but to actually see the beings inside it. Because I think there, there are some beings in there and it would have been really interesting to have a discussion with them about how this came about. But it's it's very indirect and there's just like this booming godlike voice. And yeah. then at the end, it, they they just kind of give consent for them to beam up. And that's the end of the discussion. I feel like it would have been really interesting to have like more of a discussion on that or to have, I don't know if they could have that being at the trial. That would be weird, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I actually, I, I actually like the idea that we don't see them. I mean, it, it, it just gives, it gives off a, a sense of power over not only the people down on the planet, but also with the enterprise. I mean, mm, that's true. He's, I mean, he's willing or he or what, whoever, um, they said it's multiple beings. It's not just one that's right. aboard the vessel. They, they find. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, if, I mean, obviously it's just, I mean, they have obviously immense amount of power and they're far more advanced than the enterprise. And I just think that it has, that had for the mystery of them, of us not knowing who they are 
it has a, a lot more uh, weight than if we were to find out and, and whatnot. So yeah, um, I, I, I could see that. I just always wonder what they look like. So Maybe I had so. a question for you uh, that I thought of during this episode. So we know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the or one. The one. <laughs> so um, it was asked to Picard, would you choose one life over a thousand? Mm-hmm. And Picard answers, I refuse to let arithmetic decide questions like that. Of course, I had to bring it up because it's math. But I thought, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> math is a character in this episode, too. Yes, it is. <laughs> I thought, wow, that is that sort of goes against this idea of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And Picard's like, nope, I'm not even going to worry about it. We're going to save Wesley, you know, despite what it may do to the yeah. thousands of the people on the planet. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it is really interesting. Now, this is also before he mind melds with Sarek. I wonder if after that he feels differently. Right. <laughs> but no, I, and I find it very interesting because it is one of those places in Star Trek where it's like, no, we're not going to do it based on numbers. I'm here to protect my crew first and foremost. Yes, the prime directive is important, but I can't let a member of my crew be killed. The prime dir- And he says the prime directive wasn't meant for that. It was meant to help other civilizations, but not at the expense of other people. But I mean, you see in other parts of Star Trek that people sometimes do sacrifice themselves for, for a civilization. But you know, I mean, one of the things that hangs over it is at the end, the outcome is Picard just says the law can't be absolute. And, and it's almost like, God, do we have your permission to beam up and that it's okay for this? And they beam up. But um, it's probably going to change that civilization forever. I mean, it's probably going to have a huge impact because this has been bringing order to their lives for so long and it could bring a lot of disorder and, and chaos. Now, maybe they can hope that they're god that's in orbit will do something to hand down other laws that'll help but it's it's an open question and like i think one of the things that's that is really interesting is the outcome of this trial is really important but we never get to see the full impact of it um and then one thing that i know has happened to me and i i hear that it's uh it came up in this and they were saying well is it unfair uh, that Wesley charged because he didn't know about this zone and stuff. And mm-hmm. they state, well, ignorance of the law is no defense. And I just want to share a little personal story. I was driving along just a little tiny bit fast um, and was pulled over. It was on one of those streets that's marked way too low for the design of the street. Anyways, that's my defense. So I get pulled over and I had one of those, you know, tree air fresheners in my car uh, hanging off the the rear view mirror. Oh my gosh, he did not. Yes. And he's like, you know that this is illegal because it's obstructing your view and there's a $200 Mm. fine for this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How many people drive around with something hanging from their rear view mirror? And he said those lines. Well, ignorance is not a justification, yeah. is not a defense. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And he's like, well, yeah. I'll let you off with a warning. So thankfully. But I was like, I cannot believe that he was going to say, well, ignorance of the law is no defense to me. Yeah, I, I, And I have mixed feelings about that because in a certain way it makes sense. But in another way, like in our society, there are hundreds and thousands of laws at all different levels of government. How can any one citizen really know 
all the content of those laws. I mean, in practice, you're probably going to be ignorant of some parts of the law, right? right. Now, in the right. case of justice, I think one of the really weird things that happens is that Tasha says, yep, they told us about their laws, but somehow they leave out this law where the penalty is death. That seems really weird that they they would say ignorance of the law is no defense and they didn't even give them a copy of all of the laws, yeah. right? <laughs> but I mean, it's similar to your situation. When have you gotten a copy of all of the current laws? Yeah. You'd have to well, look it up. And plus, like when you move state to state, each mm -hmm. state has ones. And, you know, I, if you listen to any morning show for any amount of time, they're always going to say, well, listen to these crazy laws in these states, <laughs> you know, and they're these most random, you know, you can't walk more than two. I mean, whatever, 250 steps within this, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You can't sleep with a sheep or something. That's, I think, a law in Wyoming. <laughs> well, hopefully no one is ignorant of that that shouldn't happen. But <laughs> Oh, boy, we're going to hear from listeners in Wyoming. Are you sure that's real? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> sleep with a sheep. Wow, Amy. Wow. <laughs> that's very different than an air freshener hanging from your rearview mirror. Exactly. <laughs> and so you're supposed to yeah. be required to know all the laws. And especially if you move around a lot, it just, it seems a little unimaginable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's a, it's a tough thing, but yeah. And justice is, is really interesting. And again, it's a really unusual kind of trial because it's this discussion and there's this godlike being hanging over it. So it's not like a typical trial. And that's one of the things I like about some of these is they're really like unusual and different kinds of courtroom dramas or trials, hearings, discussions, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, moving along, uh, we're going to uh, move on to the measure of a man. And if you guys heard last week's episode, uh, we interviewed Melinda Snodgrass on, uh, of, about this uh, about this episode and you know everything else that um she's uh that's going on with her as well so and she wrote the episode and she i'm sorry she, yeah she wrote she wrote the episode yeah <laughs> so yeah a very good episode too and this for, is probably the most famous you know courtroom drama in tng wouldn't you say mm -hmm. yeah i would i would agree with that yep definitely where we get to see uh the legality of him being sentient being yeah yeah, I so. think this Which, is yeah. uh, probably within the top 10, dare I say, top five of all favorite Star Trek episodes of most listeners. It's definitely in my top 10, probably top five for TNG. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's in, it's incredible episode. It, it really is. And, you know, of course, rewatching it recently, every time I see it, I get a little something different out of it. And it's just it's so well written and it's it's so impactful. Um but, but what do you think, Richard? Is it in one of your top episodes? Yeah, sure. There was a hesitation mm -hmm. there. <laughs> do you have some issues I, with it? No, it's, it's it's just there are other episodes that I really really like more than more than this one. I mean, mm -hmm. granted, it is a very important episode. Um, it, it's very touching and very heart heartwarming. I mean, especially when you know you know whether we, we I mean to actually question whether or not he's you know essentiate or not you know kind of sucks and then he has to uh he has to actually prove or at least you know his defense has to actually prove that he's essentiate. uh i would say it's probably right around 13 <clears throat> 15 <laughs> it's not my 10 but interesting it's yeah <laughs> okay but yeah i mean definitely it's one of those important ones that um 
need to be recognized. That's for sure. Yeah, and there's some. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Amy. Well, well, one thing that I like about this that we haven't seen with the other two is that this courtroom drama is probably the most similar to what we see happening nowadays. Like they are calling witnesses, they're identifying people in their service and their character witness and using evidence, objections, and they have closing arguments. So Mm -hmm. this very fits into what we know as a courtroom. So I I found that interesting where uh, when we look at others, like it's definitely out there and very creative the way that different societies, you know, like we just talked about with Justice or with Encounter at Firepoint, but this one where we're in Starfleet is very similar to what we see now. So I wonder is like, does our adversarial system change much between now and the 24th century? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what, what's also different about this one is there isn't a crime at issue. There's Mm -hmm. a hearing about someone's status in Starfleet or in in their society. So that makes it a little bit different. And also for the, the previous two, Injustice, it has to do with the, you know, the Edo people's system of justice. In Encounter at Farpoint, it has to do with Q's notion of, of what justice and trials are like. So this is the first time in TNG, I think, we get to see what is Starfleet's idea of a trial or, or a hearing. So I think it's more traditional um, in that way. And, <clears throat> and I, I think that it really... It benefits from that, and I think there's something really powerful about it because basically most of the episode is about the the trial, which is different than the previous two, and you do get to see all of the arguments and the issues at hand, and you know Riker doing his research for for his um, prosecution and all of that. So, like as far as the structure, it, it it's it's really it's very interesting, and I mean it, it's. I don't know. It, it's hard to to like say all the things that I want to say about it because um, I, I find just the idea that there's this hearing about uh, someone's status as a being within the Federation, I just find to be like a really powerful thing. It feels, I mean, it's consequential the most for data, but in some ways it feels like the most consequential thing we can look at because a sentient being's rights should be, you know, one of the highest things that we think of in our society and that Starfleet thinks of um, in in their society. So there's a lot of like really great kind of weighty issues. And actually, like when it gets toward the end and it's ruled that, you know, he has the right to do what he wants and he's not the property of Starfleet, it makes me tear up. It's like this is his moment to really get his freedom in a way that hasn't been defined before. Well, and I I can see where they're coming from on the uh, from the Federation side. That I mean, in a sense, he kind of is a tool. Are you saying date is a toaster? Not a tool, tool. <laughs> <laughs> but you're making a judge. Are you making a summary decision that data is a toaster? <laughs> like a Battlestar Galactica toaster. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, I see where they're coming from, and um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's just yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's yeah. go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say. I mean, from Starfleet's perspective, they say okay. Is the Enterprise computer sentient? Can it refuse to to serve you? But, I mean, it's clear that that's different because the Enterprise computer, you give it something to do, it gives you a response. For Data, he's more of like, 
a sentient being with a rounded life where someone doesn't have to ask him a question for him to do something, right? Or send a request to him for him to do something because he's planning, he's, you know, doing his duties, he's doing all of these things um, in his own life and trying to enrich his own life. So it's, I think it's pretty clear that he's different. So I was wondering after watching these, you know, in succession, I found it interesting because we just talked about it counter at Farpoint and how he was saying, you can't judge me for humanity, mm-hmm. you know, but then he says, Picard says, we will be judged by our, <clears throat> by our treatment of a race. And I thought, well, how interesting. I wonder if he has learned that we will be judged for how we treat others. I just found that interesting. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that. Although I think in an encounter at Farpoint, they're being made to stand for, you know, what Q thinks are the crimes of people that came before. And in this Picard is, is thinking of how future generations will, will think of them or how it'll affect future androids. But yeah, I think there's some similarities there. In the future, then humanity could be judged if they ruled against data and said that he is property then future generations of humanity could be judged well, for their treatment. They would judge it, but it wouldn't be like a trial, I don't think. Well, but yeah, judged. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. I thought we would have had more to say about the <laughs> oh, mission. No, no, I, I know. Go right? more things. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. So, again, like you were saying, that this is different because uh, this courtroom is different because it's not a specific act. It's more of this idea of is data sentient or not. And I like what um, Picard says, a courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevances until we are left with a pure product, the truth for all time. And I just sort of like that, that there's this underlying truth that so many things get built up around and, you know, sometimes the truth gets buried. And so if we really get down to the truth that data is sentient, then that's going to stand for all time. And I sort of like that idea. I like that too, although the idea that every single time and every single judgment that you're getting the truth is is an ideal, but I don't think yes. practically it's possible to do that yeah. because there's lack of information for some things or you don't know about certain other things. But like he's stating, this is the ideal that in this proceeding, we're all doing this in good faith. We're trying to get all the information we can so we can come up with the truth. But if any of that isn't true, then... You're, you're not necessarily going to come up with, with what's true. Yeah. Um, but, but I like what he says. I like the idealism of it. Yeah. And I like when they say that a judge must be part saint and philosopher. And I think that sort of goes to the idea of letter of the law versus. Spirit of the law. Spirit. Yeah. Is that. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. so I think, yeah, what you've got to take the spirit of the law into context for each case because you are dealing with human beings and human nature. And so, again, sort of understanding that you don't have one law that holds true for everything, that it's a case-by-case scenario. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things I was noticing as I was watching these episodes is that for a lot of these um, trials or hearings, there are important consequences that happen 
or people that change because of it. So like in an encounter at Farpoint, Q at the beginning is kind of this hostile adversary that's trying to really you know, punish or restrict the enterprise crew. But at the end of it, he's going to give them a chance, even if it's reluctantly, right? And injustice, mm-hmm. because of what happens with Picard's actions, the Edo are likely going to be changed forever because of that. And also what's interesting in The Measure of a Man is that Maddox is very adversarial, just wants to kind of take data apart, calls him it. And then by the end of it, he has a lot of admiration and calls him he and has all of this respect for him. Um, so he's changed by that process too. And, and I like that a lot that these are these proceedings aren't, they aren't just in, in isolation that, you know, you just do it and there's no consequences. There are real consequences and things that change because of these, at least the ones we've seen so far. Well, and I found it interesting. I'm just going to throw it out there. So we have Philippa Louvois. Yes. And is Captain Philippa Giorgio? Philippa? Philippa? Ah, I, maybe. We, yeah, I did see an interview with Melinda Snodgrass where she was, uh, or, or some blog post or something where she was speculating that they might have uh, been inspired by that or taken that name of or pay homage to it. Yeah. Well, we will think so in my head canon. It is. It's a (laughs) nod to TNG. Yeah. I think it's quite possible. They've done other nods to TNG on discovery. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. (laughs) By by the way, there's more about Philippa Lavoie in the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard which if you guys haven't picked it up, it's really good. So the next one is a manner of perspective. I have a lot to say about this one, actually. Okay, are so you, I'm going to go Are you not a fan of this and... one? No, no, I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> yeah, this episode. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a really good episode. It really is. It really is. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, well, I mean, one of the things about this also is, again, it's a really unusual form of trial that they have in the holodeck, right? They have all these recreations of the different people's testimony. Um, and well, I mean, I guess it's a, an extradition hearing more than a trial, but I find it so interesting that they have sometimes these scenes from these different perspectives, from Riker's perspective or from um, the scientist's perspective or his wife's perspective or, or the assistant. And sometimes they're saying the same things, but they're doing different things. Like, uh, you know, Riker will say something in his own um, kind of perspective and it'll seem innocent. And then he'll say the exact same thing in the perspective of of the wife. And he'll be like looking her up and down and like flirting with her without saying it. You know, I, I find that be, and that points up like the difficulty you can have in a trial sometimes, which is people will remember things even if they remember the words similarly, they'll remember the intention of it or people's body language very differently, right? Mm-hmm. So it points it up so much because you're seeing it visually. And it's a very good tool. That would actually be very handy in even today's courtroom. I mean, that would be fantastic if you could recreate the whole entire thing. Maybe, I mean, but I mean, there's, I mean, data even says like at the beginning of the recreation, it has, you know, an eight point something percent, you know, error rate. I mean, like there's some part of it that you can't quite get. And also like, how are they getting this information and getting like all the intonations of the voice and the body language? I mean, it seems like it would be really difficult to actually do that. And the choices that you make could like sway someone one way or another. I think it's actually kind of problematic the way that they do it. Well, and I was, uh, quite a while ago talking with a police officer and they were saying that eyewitness, it just, it's not reliable. And I think this is sort of truth to that because you're seeing different 
quote unquote eyewitnesses to mm-hmm. what happened and they just remember it so differently. Yeah, and it's filtered through their interpretation and then also data programming it, his interpretation of what they mean by that. So, and at one point, of course, there, I think there's the assistant who is saying that that the scientists talked to her and Picard's like, hold on a minute, this is secondhand. You didn't even see this stuff, right? Yeah, And they're going to recreate it, but they're like, okay, we'll watch this thing, you know? So I, I think it's, it's like a really creative way to do it, but it has all kinds of problems. And then what really proves kind of Riker's innocence or that he shouldn't be extradited is, uh, you know, this, this, uh, wave that's coming from the planet and the recreation's so good that it's just going to like blow up the holodeck. Like, how does that guy know that they're not like corrupting it and just doing that just to free Riker? Like, does that really prove anything? I don't know. It's just, it feels, a, I, I, I like the episode a lot, but I think it points up a lot of issues and problems with testimony that you can get and with the methods that you use to try to prove someone's innocence. Well, and I think like you were saying, like how people perceive you know, that that is their truth and how they remember it. And it's so interesting. I don't know if you guys picked it up, but uh, Dr. Abgar's wife, Manua, mm-hmm. each time her dress is a little different. Yeah. <laughs> and when when she's, you know, when uh, she's doing it, like one dress, it's very revealing. It's like open, you know, on the chest area and stuff like this. And then mm-hmm. when it's her time, like she's all prim and proper. And of course she yeah. can never do it. And, and when it's her, her turn to tell her side of the story, it's like Riker's piercing eyes. And he's like looking her up yeah. and down. It's like, he's this big creep. And right. Jonathan Frakes plays it perfectly. <laughs> I mean, he is creepy. I'm like, ew. Yeah. So, and what's also interesting is that in, in Manuel's recollection, she's like, you know, cozy with Dr. Apgar and they're, it feels like they love each other. And then in Rikers, there's this distance and they, even though they're saying the same things, there's this distance and like, they don't like each other that much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and, and, you know, Riker asks Troy, like, these can't both be true. And she's like, well, it's true from your perspectives or from your recollection. So, Yeah, she says, yeah, it is the truth as each of you remember it. Mm -hmm. Which is really interesting because as as Manua remembers it, Riker was being creepy and looking her up and down. And as Riker remembers it, he was being like the model Starfleet officer. Mm -hmm. And it's just there. I think like sometimes you inject what you what you think you see. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. She might have have, um, you know, felt in, in some way that the his presence wasn't wanted there and kind of put these things into it. Or, you know, maybe he was a little bit like that. We know how, how Riker is. He's kind of a ladies man, you know? I mean, so you don't, I I like how they kind of play with that. Like what's really ultimately true here. I mean, we know based on Riker's character that he wouldn't just, you know, go and murder a scientist and blow up a station. right? Right. But for some of these other things, it's like, what was his behavior really like? I don't know if we really know, you know? Yeah, and I like the last go around when Picard sort of puts it together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to allow for all the perspectives. And maybe if we, you know, take bits and pieces from everyone's point of view, you. that we will get to the real truth and what really happened. So he sort of combines all of them, which I think uh, is very telling for how great a Captain Picard is. Yeah. 
What I like about this one too is that there's this investigation that's going on to gather evidence. They're like looking at this radiation that's happening. So I like it's not just the hearing, but they're doing it like an investigation on the ship to to support it as well. It kind of like rounds out the whole thing and makes that kind of B plot just totally support what's going on in the A plot. So I, I think it's a, it's a really well done. So um, the next one we have on our list is Sins of the Father. Um, this is obviously uh, a, a Worf episode, and um, yeah, this is the... This this is this is the one where uh, Worf's father, uh, Duras, has been right. judged to be a traitor to the Romulans at, at Kittimer, and Worf comes to challenge right. it. And in the right. end, for his troubles, he gets discommendation. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, we get to see kind of the the Klingon justice system, I guess. Although it's it's not really a trial; it's it's kind of like a hearing, isn't it? Just about like a hearing, whether yeah. the judgment should change. Is, yeah. yeah. Well, but a sentence is given. Well, I guess a sentence is a. I don't. I guess it's not. Yeah, a sentence. I mean, it is a punishment. Yeah, there's a punishment that's come, but it's behind closed doors. Well, that's yeah, true. Yeah, but don't I mean, they're not—they're not really seeking, not trying to seek justice or anything like that. I mean, obviously, he's there to uh, clear his father's name, but at the same time, it's not. There's no one really being really—it's it, not really affecting him, except for his obviously his status at home. I mean, well, it's affected uh, his pride and no. his honor. Well, I yeah, his pride, but I mean, on the Enterprise, it has no bearing on the Enterprise. Well, I think or that they're in the, in the Klingon. Like this is a trial, in my opinion. They've got a specific crime, you know, sending and helping the Romulans. Well, the trial already the happened, and they came up with a judgment, though, right? No. The Dura, what do you the, mean the, the trial worst, happened? But his father's not. Yeah, his, his father had already been father. judged as yeah. a traitor to the Empire, and basically, Worf is coming in to appeal the decision. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the closest. Yeah, that's okay. probably the closest. All right. It's, it's kind yeah. of yeah. It's kind of like if someone's convicted and then there's an appeal to see if you know that should be overturned. Okay, that's how All I think right. of it. All yeah, right. that makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, an yeah. appeal that can be overturned. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's an it's a it's a hearing format. You're right because Kempick tries to reason with Worf and say, "Don't take this challenge." You know, everything will be forgotten. You don't need to challenge this. So, yeah, you're right. But so what do we think about how, like, you know, justice or these hearings work in the Klingon Empire? Well, I think it's interesting and glad that we don't have it. Like, if you are found guilty, then, you know, for the next seven generations, your entire family has to bear this, you know, guilt. Yeah, the dishonor, yeah. Yeah. It's It can be very, very harsh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how that's really a practical system because like if if the dishonor would be that important, I don't know how it would deter people from doing certain things because well, at least it's lim- it's limited to 3 generations. Is it 3 that they say? It's not the entire line. Okay. It's only I think it, I think he was saying that Alexander would bear the uh would bear the uh dishonor whereas his ne- the next generation after that wouldn't. The well, next it's, generation it's for 7 generations in there. Does it? Is it? Yeah. Okay. That's a long well, time. So at least there's a limitation. Well, yeah. <laughs> a few and, hundred years from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's got to be so tough because I think in our current day, like if you are a felon, like it's tough to get a job, right? Yeah. You're on this list and you've got probation. And, and I'm not saying if it's right or wrong, but... 
to have that for seven generations. So like you're born a felon. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Would be brutal because, you know, someone coming out of the system, it's already tough enough. And basically their life is severely limited on what they can do. And I'm not saying if it's right or wrong, please don't go into that discussion, but that consequence to mm-hmm. last for seven generations would seem very unfair to your children and grandchildren for seven generations. Yeah, I, I, I would think that you would just, like for, for someone where this happened to a Klingon and it happened for their children and the other generations, I mean, basically there would be no place in the empire for them. They might as well go somewhere else. And actually right. um, there's a recent novel series, the, the Prey novel series by John Jackson Miller that goes into this a little bit where there's this group of people that have this dishonor for generations and kind of what they do with it. But you'd have to kind of move, either move on somewhere else or just, you know, wither away and die or not have children or whatever. I mean, it just seems like such a harsh yeah. thing or you'd have to hope you get into favor maybe with the next chancellor. But it's a very, I think, odd way of, of doing things to basically say that uh, you have to pay for, you know, your ancestors' crimes, right? Yeah. I mean... Mm-hmm. That just seems like such an such an odd idea. I mean, because I think basically what they're saying is that this dishonor is something maybe that's inherent to to your genetics or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, one other thing I found interesting was here we see the Klingons so high in integrity and honor and valor, and mm. then we see at their high council, this major corruption that's mm-hmm. happening, you know? And I just think that juxtaposition between that value of honoring and, and then there is this huge corruption because we learn at the end of the episode that the high council knew that it wasn't Worf's father. Yeah. Right. And so they're mm-hmm. allowing this corruption supposedly for this race that, that values honor and, and, and integrity so great that I think it's a warning to us that it's like, if you say you are, then your actions really should be that. And that it, you can say whatever you want, but it's really what your actions are that's going to to prove you. And, and are you, yeah. or are you going to be allowed to have corruption? Like those who are in power, the Duras family is very powerful, you know? Mm-hmm. I, 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 let's see, is this the first time that we really see that kind of corruption for, for the Klingon Empire? I think it I, might yeah. be. Yeah, I yeah, think so. I think it is. Yeah, and I mean, this is uh, talking about you know change and consequence. This is such an important episode because this discommendation kind of hangs over Worf for a really long time, and actually the consequences of what happened in this episode kind of I think go all the way into into Deep Space Nine. You may not know about some of those details, Amy, but I mean, it they really kind of like carry that over, and there's all of these far-reaching consequences from this one kind of hearing that happens, um, you know, to, to try to clear his father's name and it hangs over war for, for a long time. I was trying to remember, was there a point in TNG where they end up clearing the discommendation? Oh yeah. Yeah. I forget which episode that was that a redemption. It's later. Yeah. Redemption with the civil war. Okay. But that's still like, I don't know, a year and a half or something like that. I mean, it's, it's kind of a long time. And for someone like Worf, it's, it's kind of a big deal. And I think it, it, it kind of changes him and how he thinks of himself. Um, 
Another thing about this episode, oh, like in Matter of Perspective, there's a nice little investigation where they're investigating like the logs and trying to find out what happens. And Picard goes to find Kalest and we see that he can fight against Klingons, which is cool. But yeah. the, I, I like in some of these ones where there's like this courtroom drama, there's this other thing that helps us support it and gather evidence. And you have that that here too. This, is, I mean, this is a really excellent episode. This This one's probably up there for me as well. Maybe I don't know, top 20 TNG or something like that. It's it's really good. It is top the- five for Richard because it's Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's like one of my favorites. <laughs> well, I want to see your top five list. <laughs> yeah. The others I sort of speed watched and, you know, just sort of because, you know, I've seen them so many times. But Sins of the Father, this is the one that I watched the entire episode. It's so good. It's so good. One thing that I really like with this episode is that disaccommodation scene. And when Mm. he's standing in the circle and the high council turn their backs on Worf, gosh, to me, that is so powerful. So filled with symbolism. Mm -hmm. It's just surprising. And how much that affects Worf. It's that is a very, very powerful scene and says it just it speaks volumes. I I really liked that scene. It really does. I mean, it's a very powerful ending the way that they just leave it there with all of them turning their backs and Worf and Picard leave. And you and you take it in contrast to like a matter of perspective where at the end of it, it's like, whew, I got cleared of uh, murder. Let's uh, go on to our next adventure and have some fun. And in this one, <laughs> I mean, like for that one, there isn't really consequences like, oh, I was accused of murder, but uh, let's move on. But for yeah. this one, yeah, there, there are huge consequences and I like the ones where they find the right place to end it and they find the perfect place to end it. Like the discommendation, you're just kind of left with that like, oh my goodness, what does this really mean for for Worf? And this is such a big deal for this character that that I love. It's yeah, the ending is is just really well done for that. Poor Worf. I know. <laughs> Worf is always suffering discommendation and Kalar gets killed and Alexander gets. Well, if he's not suffering, he's not happy. You know what I mean? That's right. (laughs) Or or if he's not working, there you go. If he's not working hard or working or doesn't have enough work, he's not, you know, happy at all. You know. Yeah. Worf suffers a lot. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) He's a Klingon. He loves that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so um what uh let's let's start let's talk about final thoughts. Um what do you guys think about this episode so far? Um, Justin? Oh, do, do you mean like well, the episodes we've looked at? All of them. Yeah. All, I mean, all of them. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. It, you know, it was really interesting to look at it from this perspective because usually, you know, maybe we're looking for a certain character or looking in a certain season or, you know, doing a, a rewatch. It was interesting to just isolate kind of all the, um, the trials and hearings and different proceedings. I mean, one of the things that I took out of it was there's some unusual things here out of all the ones that we looked at. I think the only one that felt more like kind of a standard recognizable kind of trial proceeding was the measure of a man for the rest of them. It's like, you know, Q's court of the crimes against humanity or injustice. It's there, the Edo people system of law and a matter of perspective. It's this kind of strange holodeck thing where they're watching things happen. Um, and in sins of the father, you get to see the kind of Klingon system. But I think what I found is that TNG had some really great kind of creative ways of doing these legal dramas. And I really appreciate that. 
for the variety. It wasn't like, okay, this is the same thing they did before, but just with a different person and a different crime. So that's, and, and what I also took about it out of it was a lot of these things do really have important consequences. It's not kind of restricted to this episode or it makes you think like in the case of justice, how it's going to affect the civilization afterwards. So, I mean, I think for the ones we've looked at in the first half here, I mean, they're some great episodes um, and very creative with a lot of consequences. Yeah, I have to agree. When we you know, first got the email from Rebecca Skipper and saying, you should do this and Standard Orbit did it. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, there's a couple of them. And then to come to find <laughs> out there were nine episodes, you know, with courtrooms type of ideas. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we definitely need to do this in two parters because the ideas and philosophies that, you know, are just so relevant, not only back then, but nowadays is so important to go over. And I'm so glad that we were able to look at, you know, these first few episodes in the first half of the season and or series and look at, you know, what does it mean to have, you know, laws and justice and honor, you know, and and these big ideals of what is it? And, um, so I just, I'm so glad we got to do this and yeah, to see others interpretations of, well, what would this society, what would their courtroom drama look like and how, mm -hmm. uh, you know, would we do that? I just think it's so, so interesting. And I'm so glad that we got to, to do this. I think, um, I think this is a really interesting way to look at next gen through this lens. Yeah. And I mean, one thing you mentioned about the big questions, I mean, there are some big questions we talked about, like what's the right way to do a legal proceeding? What's really a crime? How should a hearing happen? What's the truth? Can you, can you, um, you know, trust witness testimony? So there's a lot of really interesting things that I don't usually think about when I'm watching Star Trek. So I think it, it was really great reviewing these. Yeah. One of my, um, while I was watching all these episodes, uh, it, <laughs> one of the things that I, I find myself doing is like, no, that's not right. Or no, this is not how it's supposed to be done and, and stuff like that. And, um, I, I do that typically when that's why I don't watch law and order <laughs> or any, or any kind of criminal justice, um, uh, television show or courtroom drama show. Cause it's, it, <laughs> it bothers me quite a bit. I'm glad that we're doing this and, Looking over these episodes, uh, it definitely uh, brings a different uh, kind of lens to it about uh, justice. And um, yeah, it's um, definitely a different way to look at it. So yeah, I'm glad we're doing this. So I'm excited for next next time. So we'll, we'll, we'll have some up. more. Yeah, I'm excited too. We've got some good, <laughs> there's some good stuff here in Next Gen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything that you guys were saying, we're like hitting on, I mean, I didn't really speak much, but like, Everything that you guys were hit, or were talking about, we're running the nail. But I had more. But I don't. I don't want to turn this into a lecture. Well, you're also you're also the 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 judge taking our defense and prosecution arguments, right? So that is true. <laughs> it's very true. Very true. Yeah. Are you ready to judge us, or is that next time? That's going to be next time. Okay. Um, like you said, provisionally. So <laughs> yeah, Ooh. we're gonna we're gonna we'll figure it out next time. <laughs> Well, it's been so much fun prosecuting these hosts, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Exactly. I mean, like Arsenal and Freedom, like there's plot A, plot B, and plot C, if you look at it. I mean, this episode really has a lot going because when I think of Arsenal and Freedom, I don't think of it as a Geordie episode, but yet... 
we've just mentioned two really important uh, moments with Jordy and him taking command and, you know, building his character. So it's, it's a great episode. Stage nine, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I mean, it's, you know, there's a scene with a bear in Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, whatever. I, as I understand it, it's not a pleasant scene. It, They're not high five each other. It's pretty intense, you know. It, yeah. I wouldn't say it's unbearable, ah. but it's pretty intense. Waka waka. <laughs> anyway. The 602 Club. For me, it, first of all, only being the second Star Wars book I've ever read, um, I like the difference of having a series of short stories and not just one novel by one author like the Claudia Gray book that I read, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Okay, so I'm reading this really great book that I recommend. It's The Ultimate Star Trek and Philosophy, The Search for Socrates. Um, it's it's a collection of stories from all different authors, um, and it's it's been on my bookshelf for a year. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. You could have a chance to win that Juan Ortiz art book, and it helps other listeners find us. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best way, uh, the best, the best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, and we love getting your emails, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm/contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Gray. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Amy, where can people contact you? Well, you can find me here on the network. I host a little show called The Edge, and that's about Star Trek Discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And you can find me, best place, on the Babel Conference, because I love keeping up with you guys there. And Richard, where can people talk to you about having mercy for your hosts? What's mercy? (laughs) Well, uh, they can find me on Facebook. I'm also on the Babel Conference. I pop in here and there. And they also can find me on Twitter. My handle is xransom. So, Justin, where can they find you if they want to talk about crazy, crazy state laws? Well, you can, if you want to talk about that, you'll probably have to go somewhere else. But if you want to talk about Star Trek, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, and currently tweeting out my season four rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. You know, if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network at Patreon. 
visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N <laughs> dot com slash trekfm. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. You can get all the details. And what are those details? They are early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our patrons' website, Patron Zone. It, require, it requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope that you will join the team. Join the Earl Grey team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize and thank our current associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Jessen Ozer, and Michael Huter. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. I plead guilty. Provisionally. Great joy and gratitude. Woo! Go Army!